I'm excited. We started a series last week called Between the Waters. We're looking at this period of time in the history of Israel that comes after the Red Sea. The Israelites left the, the slavery in Egypt, they crossed through the Red Sea, and they now find themselves in this vast wilderness that eventually will lead them to the River Jordan and the Promised Land. Uh, but in between, uh, in between, the people learn lesson after lesson after lesson about trusting in God's grace and His faithfulness. And some of the awesome, most gr the, just the greatest miracles of the Bible happen in the wilderness. And that gives us a lot of hope. In, in the middle of the desert, God shows up so big. We're learning right alongside the Israelites in this series how to live as the people that God has redeemed, the people he has set free from slavery. We, we were slaves to sin. He set us free. He's given us a whole new identity and the opportunity to relate to him in a personal way, to have a relationship with the God of the universe. It's just a mind-boggling thing when you think about it. And we've been invited into this relationship but, and that's what the life of faith is all about. The life of faith is really about relationship. Uh, it's growing in trust. It's growing in our faith, in our character, in, in peace and joy and the fruit of the Spirit and all that good stuff. But it's as we grow in relationship with Christ. It, the reason why we, we talk a lot about relationship in here is because if you take that away, if you take the relationship portion of all of this away, what are you left with? You're left with just religion. And, and there's some good things to religion. I'm not one of those who thinks that, like religion is all terrible. But if you just have the religion without the relationship, you're left with just a lot of really pretty bells and whistles. Uh, but it doesn't really, you know, go anywhere. There's ultimately no life behind it. And, and what we're going to read today is really interesting. It touches on that because we're going to read another awe-inspiring miracle that God does. He's faithful to his people. But it's also a cautionary tale for us. Uh, it's a warning against letting our relationship with God fizzle into lifeless religion, rituals, routines, habits, and formulas, because that can easily happen. Now, so if you were here last week, we looked at Exodus 16. Uh, if you weren't here, I encourage you sometime this week, go back and check out the podcast from that, because it really sets up some good things that God wants to say to us. But in Exodus 16 is the miracle of the manna. A lot of people have heard of the miracle of the manna, the manna that fell. It's the bread from heaven that helped the Israelites survive for 40 years in the desert. And we learned that Jesus later in Scripture, in the New Testament, a thousand years later, Jesus comes along and he identifies himself with that bread from heaven. He actually said in one place, all the scriptures you read are pointing to me, everything. And so we, we go into these scriptures, we go into these stories with our eyes wide open, not just so, oh, the Israelites did this, so we're going to do this. We go into them knowing how to know Jesus better, right? Every scripture, I like what Mel says, Melissa said, my wife says uh, all the time that uh, all of scripture either teaches us about God or our need for God. And so that's so true. And so last week we looked at that. He's the bread from heaven. It's a picture of him. He's the bread of life and, and that we still have access to. Today we're going to see him provide this other miracle. This time the people are thirsty. Last week they were hungry. Now they're thirsty. Um, and God provides water for them. If you remember the story, we're going to look at in just a few minutes, but just to kind of give you a sneak preview, he provides water from a rock, a dry old rock. And that's the miracle. And, and spoiler alert, Jesus also identifies himself with that. Uh, so that's pretty cool. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, the Apostle Paul is reflecting back on these two miracles. This is about 1,500 years earlier before Paul. And he's reflecting back, and he says this to the Corinthians. He says, they all ate, he's talking about the Israelites, they all ate the same spiritual food and drink, and drank the same spiritual drink, 
for they drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them, and that rock was Christ. The rock was Christ. So he's the bread from heaven, and he's the rock that is struck to provide life-giving water. Now, to, you know, if you're, if you're like me and you're kind of a nerd about this stuff, uh, it, this raises a question. If Jesus is the rock and Paul's metaphorizing the, the rock here as, as Jesus, then what's the water? If Jesus is the rock, well, Jesus tells us the water is the Holy Spirit. The water is the Holy Spirit. The Spirit is the one that we have this ongoing, daily, intimate relationship with. So in John chapter 4, Jesus says this to the woman at the well. He, you know, he's like, he, remember, he goes to the woman and she's getting some water. And he's like, can you give me a drink? And it's a whole fun thing. But anyway, he says this, whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them. Notice in them. So he gives us this water, but then it's inside us. And it will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And then in chapter 7, he expands on this further and he says this, Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. So we can think of this as kind of the first movement. The first movement in our life is we, of discovering this living water is, If you're thirsty, Jesus says, you come to me and drink. If you remember last week in John chapter 6, Jesus said, feed on me, right? Eat, eat of me. Uh, now he says, come and drink from me. But it doesn't just end with one drink. So look what he says next in verse uh, 38. He says, whoever believes in me, so you've come to me, you've had that drink. Now, I've, you know, I'm giving you the water. But whoever believes in me, that's, that's you and me if you're a believer. As, Christer has, as Chris, Scripture, I could say it, has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. Oh, this is cool. Now these rivers are flowing from within them, and that's that second movement, right? That now the Holy Spirit is the water within us that's welling up within, and we can drink this water. We can drink from this fountain. We can also bless other people with this water because we got rivers of living water. The Holy Spirit is flowing inside us. This is life-giving sustenance of, of, of the Spirit, which is now inside us. But see, that second phase, this is important, that second phase, that second movement, happens after the first one. First, we come to Christ. He gives us the water to drink, which is the Spirit, and then we find that daily, continual, life-giving water inside us. So we can't, we can't do what, you know, a lot of people in our culture, it's popular in our sort of spiritual society, is to say, well, you have everything you need inside you, right? Just look inside. You know, if you have something missing, you just, you just need to look deep inside for yourself. That's the popular view of sort of spiritual culture today, but what that is, is that's just, it's living a spirituality of the self. And what scripture reveals to us is that is a dry well. <laughs> You're drawing from a dry well. That's going to be really hard. That's going to leave you unsatisfied, right? At first, we have to come to Christ. He is the one who gives us the Holy Spirit. And we know this is the Holy Spirit, by the way, because the very next verse, the Apostle John comments on what Jesus says here. And he says this, by this, he meant the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. 
So John is giving us a glimpse. He was writing at the time about this thing that Jesus is talking about that was even in his future and is now available to all of us, the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the water that comes from the rock, which is Christ. So I kind of gave away a whole lot of spoilers there, but now we can go into this story again with our eyes wide open. We can kind of, we were reading these things, we're going, mm, I know what's happening there now, right? So with that in mind, we're going to, we've given away the punchline. Let's look at the story that Jesus and Paul are referring to. It's in Exodus chapter 17. In a few minutes, we're going to look at another uh, passage in Numbers, the book of Numbers chapter 20. It's fascinating because it's very, uh, it's a very, very similar event that happens, but with very different repercussions. Uh, First of all, let me just read through this account in Exodus. We just had the whole manna episode. So in their history, this literally, the manna thing just happened. And so you can think of it as like a week later, Exodus 17, verse 1. The whole Israelite community set out from the desert of sin. And that's just a Hebrew name. It's not technically actually sin. It's just, that's what it's called. Uh, Traveling from place to place as the Lord commanded. They camped at Rephidim, but there was no water for the people to drink. So they quarreled with Moses And they said, give us water to drink. And Moses replied, why do you quarrel with me? Why do you put the Lord to the test? But the people were thirsty for water there, and they grumbled against Moses. Uh, It's interesting to note here, the people, these are people who've just been set free from slavery of 400 years. So they don't like have a personal relationship with God yet. So they don't even like know to like, you know, grumble against God. They don't even know God that well yet. They know Moses. So they're taking their complaints to him. And they said, why'd you bring us out of Egypt to make us and our children and livestock die of thirst? Does this sound familiar? If you were here last week, it's almost word for word what they said before. Uh, The Israelites, they go immediately from having, you know, maybe a legitimate concern to just emotional hysterics and blaming Moses, apparently for orchestrating this whole big thing, uh, you know, just to play a cruel joke on us. Um, and this is because the people do not yet have any idea of the character of God. They haven't learned the character of God. And so it'll take them 40 years, literally, for God to prove himself and teach them to trust him as the faithful provider. All right, so Moses, what does he do? In verse 4, he's a good leader. He's, he goes and he cries to the Lord, what am I to do with these people? They're ready to stone me. And notice Moses does have a relationship with God. The people, they, they don't so much yet. Um, but Moses knows when there's a crisis, you go to God, you go straight to him with a need. And Moses knows he can't solve this on his own. He can't like manufacture water out of thin air. He's not a magician. Uh, he knows the people are helpless. They're clueless. They've never been travelers before. They don't know anything about this desert. And so he intercedes on behalf of the people. He's a good intercessor. He has faith. He has faith in God. He has faith in God as the, the, the person of God, not in a formula or a spell. He has faith in the person of God. He knows God is going to be faithful. Verse 5 says, the Lord answered Moses, go out in front of the people, take with you some of the elders of Israel, and take in your hand that staff in which you struck the Nile, and go. I will stand there before you by the rock at Horeb. Strike the rock, and water will come out of it for the people to drink. So Moses did this in the sight of the elders of Israel. Pretty cool. We've seen this stick before. It's popped up in the story several times, right? There was one time he struck the Nile River with it, and the whole thing turned to blood. He, you know, he strikes the Red Sea with it, and it parts. So, you know, this is a pretty powerful stick, everybody's thinking. Um, and, and now he's going to strike this rock, this plain old rock in the middle of the wilderness, and water's going to come out. So it's a wonderful miracle. Beautiful. What makes this really interesting 
is what happens in the other account I told you we're going to look at, and that is in Numbers chapter 20. Let's flip over there. If you have a Bible, you can go there. It's another event, and at first it almost sounds like the exact same story. Uh, but here's the interesting thing about it. They're in a place without water. They're getting thirsty. They grumble and complain because we're thirsty. But the scene in Numbers we're going to read, keep this in mind, the scene we're about to read, it happens 40 years later. It's 40 years later. They've wandered in the wilderness now for 40 years, and they come to a place where they're thirsty again. And they complain to Moses, and we pick up the story in verse 6. Numbers chapter 20, 40 years later, Moses and Aaron went from the assembly, so the people were complaining, that he went, they went from the assembly to the entrance of the tent of meeting. Okay, so that's a sign. This is a, this is a later event. There was no tent of meeting at first. The tent of meeting was something that was the tabernacle. And it was where the God's presence would dwell. And it wasn't created till uh, about a year after they left Egypt. So what God says next, oh, they fell down face, they fell face down. The glory of the Lord appeared to them. And the Lord says this to Moses. And watch what God says is really, there's a subtle difference here, but it's huge consequences. God says, take the staff and you and your brother Aaron gather the assembly together. And at this point, Moses is going, mm-hmm, I know what this said. Speak to the rock speak to the rock huh. before their eyes and it will pour out its water and everybody can have a drink speak to the rock notice he says take your staff but he doesn't say use your staff he doesn't say strike the rock he says speak to it and so what does moses do let's look at verse 9 remember 40 years later Moses took the staff from the Lord's presence, just as he commanded him. And he and Aaron gathered the assembly together in front of the rock. And Moses said to them, okay, now Moses is about to go off script, okay? God didn't tell Moses to say anything to the people, did he? Right? He, but Moses thinks this is a good time for a speech. I got a bone to pick with you people. And, and I'm going to let you know what I think. He's in a grumpy goat mood here, right? Here he says, listen, you rebels. Oh, yeah, this is grumpy preacher mode here. I almost never call y'all that, right? Man, you got it so easy. Listen, you rebels. And it's interesting, he calls them rebels, and God wasn't mad at the people. It doesn't say like God was upset with the people for being thirsty. He wasn't judging harshly with the people. God is responding to their need. He's ready to meet their need. And Moses decides in this moment to sit in the seat of judgment. He just decides, this is a good time for me to exert some authority around here. And he's going to call them rebels. But by going off script, who's being the rebel, right? And Moses, Moses, he, he says, listen to what he says next. Must we, he's referring to him and his brother Aaron, must we bring you water out of this rock again? Oh, Moses, no, you didn't. Do you, hear, do, you, do you hear what he's saying? He's not referring to God. He's talking about him and Aaron. He, he's trying to take credit now for bringing a miracle about that's about to happen here. Like he's the rock whisperer, right? Just stand back and let me do my thing again. Y'all seen me do it before. I got to do this again for you. Yahoo's okay. And, and for some reason, I don't know why, maybe he's tired, you know, it, it's been a long life. Uh, he's, he's getting a little prideful, I think, after all these years. And he's about to slip right here from being a servant of the people, a pastor to the people, a prophet, 
a priest. He's about to slip into acting like a magician. A magician. That's what magic is. Magic is when you have all the right ingredients, you know how to wield them, you went to Hogwarts, you practiced how to say it, you know how to do everything, and you mix all those things together, and nature obeys your will, right? You've got a potion to create something, and that's the way of magic. Folks, it sounds funny, but this is the way, it is, it is way, way, way too easy for Christians to fall into this. Whether you're, you know, big, famous pastor, leader, evangelist, YouTube personality, or just, just one of us sitting in the pew, you know, following God and being used by God. We can easily fall into this, this thinking, if I just say this again, I'll do this again, it worked before, I'll get the, I'll get the same result, right? And that's magic. It's not Christianity. It's not the way of Christ. So Moses thinks he's got it down here. His, his ego is getting a little too big for his britches, I think, and he's starting to put himself in the seat of God. Do I have to do this again? All right. So then Moses raised his arm real dramatically. He struck the rock twice. A little drama queen there with his staff. Two whacks, just to impress. Um, because after 40 years, you see, this is the formula. This is what Moses knows. This is what you do. You take the stick, you hit stuff, miracles happen. And he's actually become so accustomed, I think, to being the instrument of God. He's an instrument in God's hands. He's become so accustomed to that, he's starting to think of himself as the provider of the miracles. Whatever I do is going to work. But look what happens. Now, this is kind of a shocker. Water gushed out, <laughs> and the community and their livestock drank. Well, that's interesting. Water gushed out. That is the grace of God. That is the grace of God. God still performs the miracle because he actually loves the people. He rescues the people. He doesn't punish them for Moses going off track. But there's been a breach of trust here now. We're going to see. Something has happened between Moses and God, and it's going to have dire consequences. Moses has treated their relationship like a routine. We have to guard against this all the time. There's some good routines. There's good habits. And we're always talking to you about, hey, you need to develop a habit. Develop a habit of prayer. Develop a habit of, of reading the Bible, getting alone with Jesus. Well, we just talked about that last week. There's good routines, but when you, you now have substituted the routine instead of a relationship, like it's this religious spell to be performed. I did the thing. I said the words without ever actually listening to what God told him to do. And I have a feeling that Moses, you know, he went into that thing and he fell down and, you know, said, God, you know, we need, we need help. I don't know that Moses was really listening because God told him. And then what does he do? He comes out and he, he rebels in sitting in judgment over the people. And then worse, he, he subtly claims to be the one providing the miracle. And he just goes in the opposite way that God said. And God still brings the water. That's what I love about the Lord. He still brings the water. Isn't that just like God? It's just like God. We screw up. He blesses us anyway. Amen. He uses imperfect people uh, every day to accomplish what he wants to do in the world. Amen. Exhibit A, right? We're all imperfect people. God still uses us. But this time is something unique. This time, Moses' uh, screw up 
It's, it's a more serious matter than just some kind of mistake of protocol. Uh, God has sensed something has shifted in the heart of Moses. So look how serious it is in verse 12. It says, but the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, because you did not trust in me. There it is, that trust. That's relationship language, trust, right? God thinks of this as a real relationship there. You didn't trust me, the person, enough to honor me as holy in the sight of the Israelites. So see, this is about striking a rock. He said, you didn't trust enough to honor me as holy. So this isn't just about the rock. This is about, this is also, it was part of it, but it was also about trying to take credit for the miracle, taking glory away from God as the true miracle provider. Because of this, you will not bring this community into the land I give them. And, and Scripture shows us, tells us that this marks the moment when God decides that Moses and Aaron have led the people for all of these years, but they will not get to cross over into that promised land themselves as their leader. I mean, what do you think? Is, uh, is this an overreaction on God's part? I don't think so, because I'll say this, when you have a leader who has that much power, and they start to talk like they're in the seat of God. We see this today. I mean, this is 2,000, 3,000 years later, we still see it happening. When leaders start to assume that seat of God, it's probably a merciful end to his leadership role for God to say, you can't go any farther. Um, I see where this is headed, and it's not good. I, you know, a lot of cults start with uh, people who were probably very sincere in the beginning, right? And then they just start to see themselves. They sit themselves in the seat of judgment and the seat of God where only he should be. Maybe they start to like the sound of their own voice a little bit. They start to listen to the praise. They kind of like the, uh, the attention, right? The honor, the prestige. It, it gets a little tasty, right? You want to hang on to that. And I think God in his wisdom and his mercy graciously prevents that in Moses from snowballing into something really, really ugly and worse that would have just ruined his whole legacy. So God prevents this. I think it's a graceful act. Um, now, this begs the question, uh, which is, uh, why did God have Moses do something different? you ever think about that? I think about these things. Why did God have him do something different with the second rock? You know, hey, we got a good formula. Let's do the same thing. Do the thing. And there's a bunch of reasons scholars have come up with that are, you know, interesting. I think the simplest answer is that sometimes God just likes to mix things up. Do you ever see that in your own life? He just likes to mix things up. He does. He, he, he to keep our eyes on him instead of a formula. God is always going to be trying to get us away from the formula and get our eyes towards him because he's all about relationship right to keep us focused on the person rather than the pattern he wants our eyes on him to rescue us he wants to rescue us from this human tendency to just fall in love with religious expectations and rituals and routines uh, i was reading a, i remember the beautiful quote by c.s lewis he said in one of his books i don't have it with me but he was talking about that how god answers prayer but if there's one prayer that god is perhaps most reluctant to answer, it's summed up in the word encore. Do it again. Do it again. Like, God is infinite, and we just want him to keep doing the same little thing again. I thought that was really cool. He doesn't often 
repeat himself in the same ways. And I can think of a lot of examples in Scripture where he did something once and you don't see it again. Anybody, anybody think of a miracle that uh, God did something once, but people kind of would love to take that miracle and turn it into a magic spell? Uh, the common one, when I ask if a couple of people this, that uh, everybody wants to, wishes they knew was how to turn the water into wine. There's a lot of folks that would get themselves in real trouble if they learned that trick. Um, yeah, some folks, yeah, that wouldn't be so good. I can think of another one like, um, what about the winter you made the bronze serpent in the wilderness and it healed the people of snake bite? Some of you like go camping a lot. That'd be a great trick to know, right? A little rattlesnake gets you, no problem. I brought my bronze. We just make a little snake. Now look at it. All good, right? Yay. Nope. God did that once. He did it once. Never does it again. How about Samson? Got the long hair. It gives him all the strength. I tried throughout my teens and 20s to replicate that miracle. I had the hair like a rock star. I was just as scrawny and weak as ever. It didn't do anything for me, right? He only did that once. Uh, Jericho, marching around the city seven times and the walls fall. That's impressive. That was a, that's a beautiful story of his faithfulness to the children of Israel. Doesn't seem to be his prescription for how to overthrow the principalities and powers that we are against today, right? We don't really walk around the cities and watch the walls fall anymore. Even Pentecost, you know, the Holy Spirit falling, it's a beautiful thing. We get the Holy Spirit, and today we still have, you know, we have the gift of tongues, and the Holy Spirit moves in all of us, but we don't have tongues of fire usually, you know, maybe you have. I haven't seen tongues of fire appear above all of our heads, you know, the, the whooshing wind and all that cool stuff. He did it once. Not everything is duplicatable just because it's found once in Scripture in that same way, because God, He's fresh. He's creative, right? And anybody gone bass fishing lately? James and Sharon, I know you guys have been trying for years. Have you found that money in the fish's mouth yet? Not yet. Not yet. Keep, you're, keep at it. But so far, it's only happened once, right? There was a miracle in the New Testament. They found money in the fish's mouth. What a great thing. But it just, I call these the one-hit wonders of the Bible, right? One-hit wonders. Man, they're awesome. But like the second, second track that band comes out with, it's terrible, right? just doesn't work. And Moses hitting, this, hitting the rock with a stick to provide water, that was a one-hit wonder, literally. He was supposed to only hit it once. Uh, but what happens? He, he does what a lot, of, a lot of bands try to do, unfortunately. He tries to squeeze a miracle out of the second track and a repeat performance and he gets in trouble for it spitting in somebody's eye rubbing mud in their face to cure blindness jesus did it once right and it doesn't seem to work very often after that um so god works in different ways he works throughout history we have to keep our eyes open why why does he do this because we have to keep our eyes open to the one who provides the miracle not the methods that he's used in the past to provide the miracle so here's where I'm taking this. I want to challenge us today. Something for us to chew on this week. It's, it's similar. It's a version of what I told you last week with our need for daily manna, daily living bread, and that is this. Are you drinking your daily dose of the Holy Spirit? Are you drinking your daily dose of the Holy Spirit? You, that intimate encounter you had with the Lord yesterday was for yesterday right? That daily bread we talked about, it's for yesterday. Can I say this? Some of us, I think, in our relationship with God, 
we have that moment, and some of us are running on 10-year-old grace. We're running on 10-year-old methods, 50-year-old formulas, and you had one good encounter with God, and then you fall into a pattern. Maybe you still go to God with your needs, that's good, and God is gracious, He still speaks to you, but maybe you're barely listening because you've got Him all figured out. You already know what He's going to say. You're not even listening for the, the different, fresh thing He wants to tell you today because he's, he's, you got Him fit into your box. You know all His tried and true methods. And God is so good. He still works with us. He still works through us even when we limit Him. He works through us. But because of that, maybe your relationship is just starting to fade into the background. And all you're left with is the, the shell, that exoskeleton, which we call religion. And you can't survive on that. That's a dry well. And where that can lead to is something even worse than just being unsatisfied. It can lead you to depending that, or thinking that everything depends not on God, not on His grace, not on His fresh word, but on you and your performance. How well you execute the rites and rituals and routines, the spells. Well, I didn't get the answer that I wanted. I must not have did the spell right. And every day we need to be guided and nourished by Jesus. There is no formula. There is only faith. There's faith, which is an ongoing trusting relationship. It's not a book of spells. It's a relationship. So, are you drinking your daily dose of the Spirit? That, that living water that comes from Christ. Here's what I mean. There's a great example I want to show you. This is so fun. It's in Acts chapter 15. The early church in, in the book of Acts tells the story of the, literally the birth of the church. And it's just so cool. They had this exciting intimate relationship with the Holy Spirit when it was just being born. The church is just being born. I mean, they, they had never done this before, right? The, 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 Jesus has ascended to heaven. The Holy Spirit has fallen. And so now the gospel is spreading. They're kind of like making it up as they go along, right? They're in uncharted territory here. And it's beautiful. In Acts 15, they have an experience that was starting to kind of blow their theology out of the water because they needed God's guidance here because God is doing new things. He's doing new things. We need God's guidance. And so one of the big deals at the time was that Gentiles were becoming Christians. Gentiles were non-Jews, were becoming Christians without first converting to Judaism. So you have to imagine, like in this time, in the very first years, uh, all the people becoming Christians were Jews. It was because Jesus is the Jewish Messiah. So the Jews are accepting Jesus, and they're becoming Christians. They wouldn't have called it that back then. They would have just said, yeah, the Messiah came, and so we serve the Lord. And so, but now these Gentiles, like these Greeks and Romans and, you know, these heathens who nobody's ever heard of, they're like receiving Jesus and they're not becoming Jews first, and that's kind of like, mm, how, does this, how does this work? This is messing everybody up. And so, and, and so what they're telling these new Christians is like, well, at least becoming, you got to become Jewish, you know, to be a, a real Christian, so at least you got to get circumcised if you're a male, which was bad news for a lot of grown men. It meant swearing allegiance to the Torah. Uh, you got to be Torah observant as a whole. There's 613 laws, Welcome to Christianity. Start following all of these laws, right? So this is like a real hardship. This is a burden for these Greek and Roman converts. And 
But at the same time, the church, the church leaders are seeing with their own eyes the evidence of the Holy Spirit is working in these Gentiles. They didn't convert to Judaism. And so that, it's unsettling. It's unsettling. It, it, they, so what do they do? They, first thing they do is what we should do, and that, they go to the Scriptures. And they're like looking at Scriptures, and they're praying. As they go back to the Scriptures, and they're right, re-looking at it with fresh eyes, they keep rereading it. And then it says that they, they go to the Holy Spirit and say, what is going on here? Because now they have the Holy Spirit. See, this is a new thing. And Paul, the Apostle Paul, who's been getting all of these non-Jews saved and converting them into the church, he advocates on their behalf. He's like, come on, guys. The Holy Spirit is moving in these people. And he's advocating to them to the church leaders back in Jerusalem who were kind of like real, you got to be Jewish. Um, And after a while, they, they meet together, they pray, and the Jewish Christian leaders in Jerusalem write this letter to the Gentile Christians And here's what they say in verse 28. It seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us. First of all, I just love that. It seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us. They're not issuing a new Torah, right? The new law. They're not saying, they're not even really saying like, thus saith the Lord. They're saying, here's what we think. Here's where we're at with the Holy Spirit. It seems good to the Spirit and to us not to burden you with anything beyond the following requirements. And they do away with all 613 rules of Torah, and they say four things which they ought to abstain from. Food, sacrifice to idols, blood. Abstain from the meat of strangled animals and from sexual immorality. You will do well to avoid these things. I like that. You will do well to avoid these things. There's such grace and mercy, and even in that statement, right? Just, you know what? These things don't lead us into unity. Avoid these, and you'll do well. Now, why are they saying this? They're saying this so there can be unity in the church, because they're, they're, they're wise enough to realize there's a real opportunity here for us to come together for something to be born that's never been in the earth before, or we could, like, really throw down the hammer, and we're going to cause some church splits, Right? but this is all about relationship. They want to create a unity between the Jews and the Gentiles in the church. And here's something else that's interesting. If you look at this list, three out of four of these are cultural sensitivities. Uh, They're they're situational, and they're never repeated again. You notice that? Uh, In any morality code or expectations of the Christian uh, cultures beyond the ancient Jewish Roman world, not in Scripture, we don't find them again in the writings of the early church fathers, you know, 100 years later or anything, There's one prohibition out of the four that continues in the church today as something we should recognize, and that is avoiding sexual immorality. Amen. Amen. But food sacrifice to idols, that doesn't last long, right? In fact, within, within about 10 years, Paul writes in Romans 14, he says, nah, if your conscience is good with it, go ahead. Isn't that something? Just try not to offend those who are easily offended. Paul tells them that. Abstaining from blood, never mentioned again. Uh, you can touch blood, you can order your steak rare, praise the Lord, right? It doesn't affect your, affect your status in the church. The meat of strangled animals, that's kind of an obscure thing from, that was from the kosher law. It kind of goes along with the blood thing. And uh, so they were saying, you know what, in order to to sit in communion with your Jewish brothers and sisters and the Greek brothers and sisters and not to make them all weirded out. Uh, 
don't eat meat from strangled animals, right? Um, it's never mentioned again by the church fathers or in scripture or anything, nada. These, these were things that were for a certain time and place. They were, they were trying to preserve that spirit of unity, spirit of peace with Christians converting from Judaism. And they needed, what did they need? Here's the point we're getting here. They needed the intimacy of the Holy Spirit here. They needed the intimacy of the Holy Spirit to say what is needed between these two divisive groups, the Jews and the Gentiles, to help them right now to have unity. We need a, we need a quick response. What are we going to say? Guess what? They don't have to follow the whole religious pack, package. They don't have to convert to Judaism. They don't have to be Torah observant to receive Jesus. They don't have to be circumcised. But here's some things right now that would be relationally loving to help these two groups get along. That's just so beautiful to me. I can't even tell you that they're able to make, these early church leaders were able to make this wise choice because they're in tune with the Holy Spirit. They're in tune with the Spirit of God. As Moses had been for much of his life, for most of his leadership, as many of us have been in tune with the Holy Spirit. Amen. But may we not have to talk about being in tune with the Holy Spirit in the past tense. Oh, may we not go down the road that Moses ended up going down. May we continue in that. May we drink from the Spirit every single day. Amen. This morning, uh, before we leave here, we're going to take communion together. You can get these elements ready if you picked those up. If you're watching by live stream, we would love you to partake of this with us in spirit. You can have your, your bread and your juice there with you. As you're getting that ready, I want to go back to what Jesus said in John chapter 7. This is what we, we read earlier. He said, let anyone who was thirsty come to me. That's that first move. The first move is come to Jesus if you're thirsty. If you're sitting here today and you're like, I don't know, I don't know, but I've been seeking. I'm still not sure about this whole thing, but man, I feel an emptiness. I feel a need. I'm, I'm thirsty for something real. Jesus says, come to me and drink. And whoever believes in me, as Scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from them. And that's that second move. It's, not, it's going beyond just that first encounter with Jesus, uh, with God, and then, and then you know, coasting on that for the rest of your life. No, there's, there's a life of daily experiencing the living water of the Holy Spirit. Whether you're here today and you need to make that first step toward Jesus. Maybe you need to, that, it's your day. You're just feeling, you can't deny it. There's something inside you that's just drawing you towards him because he loves you so much. He wants to fill you up. Today's your day. Others of you, maybe you've been a Christian a long time, but you need to say hello again to God. Maybe you've gone through the motions for years, but you haven't really talked you haven't communed. Maybe you've been on autopilot when it comes to your relationship with that Spirit of God. And this is your chance. This is our chance to say, God, it's me. You remember me. Um, we haven't talked in a while. And I really, I, I want to listen to the fresh things that you're saying to me today. I want to be close to you. I want to be surprised by you. I want to walk in that daily faith and, and trust relationship with you. Let's pray, and then we'll take this together. Amen. Hallelujah. Heavenly Father, I pray first of all 
for those of us who are here who don't know Jesus intimately or personally. I pray that right now as we sit here, that those folks would just have the courage and the conviction to say yes to you, Jesus, to give you their heart, to commit their life, to receive your spirit, your living water. I pray for the rest of us, Lord, and maybe, maybe we crossed that line years ago, but we've grown cold. Maybe we, we have kind of walked the same journey that Moses and the Israelites did. We've walked for so long. We've been faithful, but bit by bit, we've fallen into a rut, Lord. And I pray that today would be an opportunity for us to, to push the restart button in our re- relationship with you, Lord, to call out to you and to say thank you, thank you, thank you for not giving up on me. Thank you for being gracious. Even when we screw up, thank you for wanting to be our friend. We want to be yours, and we commit ourselves to making relationship with you a part of our daily life. And so today, Lord Jesus, Lord, we, we're going to take you at your word. You said in the, in the Bible for us to feed ourselves on you, to eat of you, and to come to you and drink. And so in a very real, physical, tangible way, we're going to take this bread and this cup today And we ask you, Lord, to first prepare our hearts as we confess that we have sinned against you, Lord, in thought, word, and deed by what we have done and what we have left undone. We're truly sorry. We humbly repent. And I thank you, Lord. You are so faithful that you have mercy on us and that you have forgiven us, that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways. In the strong healing name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Friends, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May he, his face shine upon you and be gracious to you and merciful to you. Let's go out there this week. Be kingdom people. Grace and peace be with you. Bye-bye.